uh, especially now that everything's in bloom and uh, hmm. just a, it's like the same sites I saw before are made new because it was uh, what, everything else was dead. You know what I mean? There's, the trees didn't have leaves sure. on them, some of them, a lot of them. And um, similar scenes that I had photographed before, I mean, scenes I had photographed before were very, very different now with all this uh, growth and everything. And, um, and Chicago uh, is one of the, the states that gets all the seasons because California famously does not get winter at all. You know, typically it's right. just summer, spring, summer, autumn. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So, so to go there, you could really appreciate the, because you could see the, the a difference, a big difference, uh, comparing my experience last time to this time. And, uh, it was just, ah, man, it was so much fun, so much fun. Anyway, it was just a, it's just such a vibe and, uh, no, no pretense. It's not a tourist trap. I wonder how your buddy would like to be on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think he's done. I think he's done his own. Uh, he's done several, but he's he's quite busy. He's uh, he's a superior general of uh, of a religious order out there. Oh damn! Okay. Yeah, he's he's the head priest. So he doesn't really listen to podcasts either. He's too busy. As far as I know, no. I know that he's done. Maybe, yeah. I think it's so it's so infrequent. So so busy. I'm so proud of him. It might be for the best because honestly, some of these podcasts I listen to, they would be general topics or it'll be about video games or something right right but in between they have these embedded advertisements from other people like other podcasts and no joke probably within like three months there was three different podcasts and they kind of do this little i I guess they call it like a trailer where they try to um, get people to pause that show you're listening to right now and come subscribe to us type of thing they (sighs) they do some shit like that that's obnoxious they try to grab your attention that all three of those podcasts were talking about penises. What the f- <laughs> shock. It's the shock factor sort of then. These are like conversational podcasts. So what they try to do is it's like, they try to draw you in by making it seem like, Oh, this is something that you might have fun listening to us talk about <laughs> penises. <laughs> For me, it's like co- the complete opposite. I'm like, you could have literally picked any other topic, but these are the topics that they chose to put in their trailer. So one of them, these are all actual pieces of the trailer, right? So one of them was talking about, why do Snickers bars have penis veins on them? That is so contrived. <laughs> there was another advertisement that was talking about, they're like, oh, come listen to us compare our penis sizes with each other, whatever the fuck. And then the last one I heard was he was wrapping up his trailer. And at the very end, he says, uh, it ranges from this all the way to uh, what direction our penis curves. Mine's to the left, by the way. Like he even says that in the trailer. He's like, mine slightly to the left. Some shit like that. What the fuck is going on here? This is what people think others want to talk about. This is what they want to listen to. Right, 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 right. I, man, it says something. <laughs> it says something for sure. I, I, I just think to myself, like, where is the, I don't know, just disappointing. It, it's almost like those broy podcasts that we try so hard not to be. Right. Okay. So, so here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I think that's stupid. Why, why are we going to talk about that there? That, that's the best you can do? Like, is that, is, that, is that really? Howard Stern, shock jock, right? 
he has more genuine conversations and sure he especially in the beginning he was uh he would talk about crazy sex shit and he would have porn stars on his show and things like that anyway i guess my point is again it's that shock factor let's talk about this and my question also is well what are they trying to accomplish and who is it there who is it that their audience is who are they trying to to reach i, I don't think i don't think they're trying to appeal to women per se doesn't sound like it at all you're really limiting your uh, listening audience if all you do is appeal to broed out guys. Mm -hmm. Imagine if <laughs> we had a video version of this podcast. Do you think we would come off as bro? I don't know, me with the hat right now, but with the shirt, the Flictionados podcast yeah, shirt. Yeah, <laughs> Afflictionados. This is actually a new shirt, by the way. This is the, uh, the new merch. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, ah, broed out. I think based on maybe some of the ways that we talk, I mean, we have such a, we do have a California way of talking. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've heard this actually. So when I went to San Antonio, oh, yeah. people were like, yeah, you, you definitely sound like you're from California. Yeah. I read this book uh, by an author named Constance Hale. Shout out to Constance Hale. She's brilliant. And she wrote this book called Sin and Syntax. And in it, she talks about, word usage and the beauty of, of the English language, uh, sin and syntax being like, it's, it's kind of a fun thing without getting too, too deep into the weeds on that. Sin can be offensive. It could be like, oh, you offend, you're offending me right now with how terrible your grammar is. But it can also be, um, ooh, the seductive aspect. You're, you're breaking the rules. That's sin. You know, you, you know what the rules are, but you're, you're, you're breaking them with a little bit of a wink. And that's where that creativity comes into play, that innovation where you kind of flirt with it a little bit. You know, I, I kind of think of it like jazz music where yeah. I felt like it, it was breaking a lot of rules and it was it was breaking the mold and it was unlike a lot of the other music around it at the time. I think a lot of people, it to them, it was just like, what the fuck is this noise, you know? But over time, I, we've definitely, not like me specifically, but just like in general, people have learned to really appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, I think jazz is the highest form of musical, how would I put that? The greatest form of improvisation, perhaps. It's all vibes, literally vibrations, and there's no there's no real wrong note. It's what it's what everybody else does to adapt to it. Yeah, and that's actually why I brought it up. It, it's a big part of the storyline for the movie that we're going to be covering. So, should we mob it? Let's mob it. Do you feel comfortable taking over the intro? Oh, doing doing the intro? Oh, sheesh. Let me see here. You want to take a crack at it? Sure. Let's see. I'll give it a... <laughs> 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 we can obviously cut it out if it's not so good. Welcome to Afflictionado's podcast, episode 26. My name is Michael, and the other voice occupying your head this time is none other than my homie, Eric how you doing? Yeah. Thank you to all of the listeners out there for joining us. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. That also includes YouTube, where you can find us at Afflictionados Podcast. As always, new episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. This is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also cover TV shows or other forms of media. Lastly, 
we will be getting into spoilers here and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletive tossed in. You have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready. Because in this episode, we will be discussing the charming romantic musical film, La La Land, released in 2016, directed by Damien Chazelle. Bravo. Grazie, grazie. That was good. That was good. Not too bad, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah, so we'll be covering La La Land. Um, this is currently available on Netflix as of this recording, for those of you interested. Maybe by the time this episode releases, it won't be, but... <laughs> yeah, or if you're listening to it later, maybe maybe some, years down the line, people loving our podcast are going to go, yeah, when I listen to this one, and like, oh, what? It's not available on Netflix. Netflix <laughs> doesn't even exist anymore. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? What is Netflix? What is that? I said that it was ironic that I bought this movie because I loved this movie since I first saw it, and I think I saw it twice before I saw it again more recently, but it's a, it's a hard one for me to watch. It's 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 not easy. Uh, when I when I first saw this movie, we saw it in theaters, came out in 2016, and uh, I was uh, in a relationship in a, in a long term relationship then, and it was interesting to see it and to feel those things and uh, the beginning of love. You know what I mean? The beginning of a relationship and just to see those cute moments where they're kind of clashing with each other. It's our it's ironic, and we can get more into it. I'm sure we will get more into it. Do you typically like musicals? So I was going to mention that I have um, particular musicals that I do like. I, there there Same. are specific ones that I like and many that I don't like. <laughs> I've basically sworn never to watch Moulin Rouge. I think you asked me if one time we wanted to cover that. And I was like, no, you'll have to cover that with Steph. Because I actually like may I like sw- I didn't swear an oath or anything. But I was just like, I will never fucking watch that movie. Never going to do it. I just don't want to that definitely was not me because i'm not i've seen bits and pieces of it i've i don't know it just never really piqued my attention that or chicago because i know those came within like a few years of each other if not the same year i don't know but i i never really was drawn to either one of those Uh, and much like you there's few and far between that i'm just all in for so i could probably name the musicals i'm super into on like one hand and I, uh, I love Rent. The, the music, the story, the story is so dramatic and it's so touching, heartbreaking. The music is super powerful and a lot of catchy songs. Pretty much like the entire soundtrack is catchy, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. I've never seen Rent, so I can't speak to that. Yeah, there are aspects that I like about it, but overall, like, yeah, it, just didn't, it never really appealed to me. Are you familiar with the director, Damien Chazelle? Damien Chazelle, um, I, I remind me. Yeah, I, f- I forgot what uh, what he's also. So, been uh, well, I guess a little bit about his career. So, he's a big fan of musicals himself. So, he, having been fond of musicals, his first conceptualized idea for the film, he teams up with uh, composer Justin Hurwitz. Oh, I right. think is how he says his name. Uh, while attending Harvard University. Um, That's kind of where they first met. And (laughs) that's how they bonded. They kind of shared this equal appreciation for musicals. And I think they just sure there was a lot of older musicals, but I think a lot of the newer ones, it wasn't scratching an itch, you know, like they weren't really seeing what they wanted to see out of musicals, like modern day musicals. So I think that's when they kind of conceptualized the idea for this film, La La Land, was around that time that they were attending Harvard together. So 
Chazelle, he was trying to pitch the, the idea for La La Land and he was trying to find a studio that was actually interested in financing it. Yeah, a lot of them were like either flat out just no, we're not interested because musicals are a little bit tougher to sell to the general population, especially now. Right. Other studios that were interested in picking it up, they wanted to basically just rework the entire script. And he had this this vision that he wanted to stick with. And so he wasn't willing to do that. And so he he was just having trouble finding any takers for this movie. So he just kind of sat yeah. on the idea for a long time. I respect his integrity. That's awesome. I mean, he wants it done right. He wants it done right. The studio execs are trying to make money and he's trying to make art and he's trying to do something real and, and reach people. Man, if they had if they had kowtowed to the studio execs, what, what, what would we be left with, really? I, I don't think it would have been a fucking... It probably would have been a shell of what it is. A shell, precisely. It would have been a, a fucking joke, but it's instead just this beautiful love story uh, and again a love letter to la as well as to jazz the reason why i bring up all that is because it wasn't until the success of whiplash um that studio summit entertainment finally picked up la la land so whiplash jk and which was a freaking fantastic movie i i still Shit. really love that movie but uh, yeah the whiplash and uh the more recently uh babylon babylon is another movie about like film industry and stuff like that so wait damien chazelle did that yeah oh wow okay yeah i didn't i didn't see that i know brad pitt's in it uh is margot robbie in that as well margot robbie yeah was there something about this movie when you first heard about it or when you first saw the trailer that drew you in always i would say even the name itself i love the the name of it because first off you know it's it's like a play on la yeah you got LA listed right there in the title and it, it takes LA place twice. in Los Angeles. And then, yeah. but also the term La La Land, it's, it's kind of fantasy like. Yeah. It's, fa it's, it, it evokes that. It kind of helps prepare you for it to be a musical. La La Land. And it's that alliteration, La La Land. For me, the draw was, um, you, you say the name Ryan Gosling and I'm there. I, <laughs> I have such respect for him. And uh, I think he's just so, he is all about, that subtlety i can't even think of the word i just used before but yeah it's it's all it's his performances are always uh, always worth watching so that and the fact that emma stone's in it and she's absolutely gorgeous and uh, and funny as well with a sharp wit i think their mm -hmm. chemistry on screen has been phenomenal there's a reason why they've been in so many movies together yeah. and been uh, the love interest for each other they do have chemistry they do. They do. I'm not going to lie. I will say that I was starting to get a little fatigue. I'm just like, really? Like, they can't, can they not find any other actors for this? Because, I mean, I was coming off of, was it Crazy Stupid Love or whatever? Right. Yeah, they were in Crazy Stupid Love. and Yeah, Love Interest in that one. And kind of a similar dynamic, too, where they, they kind of, they don't initially like each other, but then it's like they start, like, having that just undeniable attraction, and it escalates quickly. Right. Yeah. Um. I'm not mad at the opportunity to see them play that out again. And that's, I think it's kind of funny that that's a very similar story in terms of how, how it goes. But again, I don't know, I guess with, there's nothing new. You knew it was going to work. Right. I, exactly. So I knew it was going to work. I, and there was song and dance involved, which I hadn't seen him in. And I know that he was in the Mickey Mouse Club back when Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears were on. So I knew he had, he had some, some chops when it came to uh to singing and dancing i mean it was a kid then though so it was just like does yeah. that really carry over i feel like if you have rhythm you have rhythm and if you have sure. a decent voice then it'll carry over and 
So it was nice. And I, and I love, uh, I love hearing Emma Stone's. She's got that raspy sultriness and it's just, I don't know if she could already sing prior to this movie or if she just got vocal training for this role, but, um, I think she does a great job. I, I definitely think Ryan Gosling is, you know, maybe not as strong of a singer, but uh, he still does a solid job. Yeah. I, I don't think that he really is meant to, I don't think they really, they wrote anything to really showcase his range. His character really isn't like that. He, he really is more sort of sardonic, a little bit more jaded. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like he's, he's not, he doesn't bring out the floral stuff, but with his dancing, he does. He really let, like that's lets true. it out. And Oh, and that's part of what drew me in too was in the trailer. The big showpiece was like the tap dance number, right? During Twilight overlooking LA. And that's like the cover art. They strike that pose, right? Yeah. I was interested in the story. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good narrative. And then um, you knew that the chemistry was going to work albeit nothing new, you know, like how you said, but uh, it, it wasn't necessarily new and exciting, right. but you knew for a fact that they could make it work. I think all of that just combined. I'm like, you know, I haven't seen a good musical in a while that was just drawn me in. I was actually excited to give it a shot. Since we were talking about the cast for La La Land already and how we're saying, um, you know, they have so much chemistry. I guess we'll just go through the, the cast really quick, the immediate cast. So right. Ryan Gosling plays Sebastian Seb Wilder, Emma Stone as Amelia Mia Dolan, uh, John Legend as Keith, Rosemary DeWitt as Laura Wilder. I guess that's uh, Sebastian's sister. J.K. Simmons as Bill and Finn Whitrock as Greg. And Greg is uh, Mia's boyfriend early on in the film. So what's interesting about the cast is that when we're talking about the chemistry that uh, Ryan and Emma have, they were not the original choices for this movie. Apparently, Miles Teller and Emma Watson were originally cast as Sebastian and Mia, but both dropped out. And that's when Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone stepped in. Oh, man, that's really interesting. So keep J.K. Simmons. I wonder if you, how early on he was a part of that project. Because this did come after, yeah, Whiplash, which J.K. and Miles were both right. in. So um, maybe the director was just like, hey, I love how you guys act. I want you in my new project. You know, it's funny because one character that, that you, you didn't mention who is kind of like, he has a very small role in the movie, very few, uh, very few speaking parts. But he stuck, he, he, he stuck out to me this time when I saw it. I couldn't place him, but it's her husband at the end, David. For anybody who who um, has not seen the movie, where he really, really, he really made a mark, and it's like it's a cult classic, is uh, that Tom Hanks film, uh, that thing you do. And yeah, her, so her husband David, he's such a sweet person, and it's not his fault that Seb, you know, that that Ryan Gosling's character and Emma Stone have this whole previous, you know love affair mm -hmm. in their past and he's uh just there in the midst you know anyway mm -hmm. you know before like we even start recording um i mean i don't know that's that's like something i started doing with the later recordings is if there's a soundtrack then i'll kind of listen to it leading up to us actually recording and so i was playing the soundtrack for la la land as michael is hopping on man i think the soundtrack is pretty fucking solid from start to finish like right out the gate for this movie you know they start off with another day of sun dun, 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 dun. Yeah. that's so fun because it, it has the the structure of a play 
if you've seen a musical play, oftentimes, like for Rent, without even introducing any of the characters, it, it, these are all basically just like extras. Although in in plays, you kind of reuse a lot of the same actors for like previous roles and or various roles, I should say. But um, yeah, these were would be like unnamed characters and they're the ones singing the opening number. And that's kind of how it is with Another Day of Sun, where you have a bunch of these just like no name extras and they're all dancing and singing in L.A. traffic. And right out the gate, it's just like, boom, it wants to let you know this is a musical. You better get ready for it. So yeah, it's it's got that energetic opening number. It's it's very positive. There's kind of a juxtaposition here because it's singing this happy-go-lucky song, but it's in such a infuriating setting, right? Infuriating in the sense that you're stuck in this gridlock traffic and anyone who's ever driven through LA will fucking know how defeating it is to be stuck in the in this traffic and you just can't go anywhere. It's just like so miserable. There's nothing to really like entertain yourself. Like it's always hot in LA. You get, you're smelling smog. Everyone's as equally irritated, if not more, as you are. So um, it's it's interesting that like everyone like starts coming out of their cars and everyone's just like, hey, you know, like even though this fucking sucks, I guess it could be worse. And you know, they they all like kind of like trade off. And I don't know. In in a way, it shows the worst part of LA, but also one of the best parts, which is like the spirit of hope. I mean, that's that's kind of what L.A. and Hollywood has always been, right? It's like that's where people go to, like, make their dreams come true. And precisely SoCal, even though I said it's it's fucking hot, like it really is just comfortable, predictable weather all the time for the mm-hmm. most part. You kind of get what you pay for because it is super expensive to live here. But a lot of people would consider it paradise, really. You know, it, it really is. It's it's beautiful. I typically like to be in more cool weather and i don't mind gloomy weather as well so i think i'm definitely built for more like the northwest but socal is just if you want to go someplace where it's sunny all the time and you can just like wear comfortable clothing in comfortable weather then that's the place to go right right you know going back to what you were saying before about uh about the opening scene i think that's so it's so cool that you tuned into that like you you really the fact that you made mention of that is it's quite crucial, actually. The fact that these are characters that are not main characters and they're giving the vibe. They're kind of setting the tone for it. There's this, again, there's this, this, this hope. It's really setting the stage. What it reminded me of, because you said play, you said musical play. I was like, yeah, that's right. And yeah, you're right. These are all characters that are not part of the the main story, but they, but they, they have the sort of spirit that's that's involved, that, that that's inside of the main characters themselves. And so they're expressing that in a collect in this collective way, and it reminded me of uh, well, you said play a musical play, therefore like a, a like a drama. I think of that, and it reminded me of the chorus. They're basically the chorus, but in the, like the classical Greek tradition of what a chorus is. And so I, I looked it up here on Encyclopedia Britannica. The chorus in classical Greek drama was a group of actors who described and commented upon the main action of a play with song, dance, and recitation. So they're the chorus. They're playing the chorus. They are mm-hmm. acting these things out and uh, describing and commenting on the main action. And I, I can really appreciate tight and complex choreography as well, because a lot of it is them playing with the functions of vehicles around them, you know, like opening doors for someone else. And then they kind of like step in and join in the song and they're dancing together. And you got someone that's like rolling over the hood of someone else's car or someone jumping on the car behind them. And 
um, yeah, they're just incorporating a lot of just the elements around them while they're on this overpass. The way that it was so synchronized too, because, you know, at the end it's doing like a shot from behind where everyone's looking in the same direction as the, the lens is pointing. And then, you know, everyone like raises their arms up in the air at the same time. And then everyone just like gets back in their car and it just acts like normal. I think it was so fucking well done with how many people were involved. Right. I don't even know how many it takes. It probably took to do that, honestly. Yeah, so many, so many people and who knows how long they were able to actually block that off. And so... There's that time constraint as well um, to get it right with fewer takes. Music is so is so crucial. It's, uh, gosh, if I can pull a quote out, I just have this book next to me right now. Yusuf Pieper is a is this amazing, is this brilliant philosopher. This book that he wrote called Only the Lover Sings, Art and Contemplation. It's, it's a thin one, but it's so dense. It, take, it takes a while to read to really fully understand. But one of the things that he says in it that blew me away and I think is apropos for what we're talking about now is he, he says, music articulates the inner dynamism of man's existential self. And he, mm. said, and he goes on to say, which is music's prime matter. Another way that he describes it, he says, uh, music does not speak of things, but tells of weal and woe which is a quote from uh, Schopenhauer, the philosopher Schopenhauer. I could see that. It's almost like music can explain something better than words can. Precisely. So to so exactly, music reaches straight to our, our souls. It reaches straight to our, our the very core of who we are beyond words. It gets to our emotions. So I think it's a beautiful expression of this love story. It's a brilliant drama of, of a movie. Do you believe in destiny? And do you think that that's kind of like one of the, the main ideas that they were exploring in this movie? Because they do <laughs> run into each other many uh... times. So how, how big is L.A.? L.A. just in general is a huge area. Huge. They were stuck in traffic. They initially met each other because, you know, Mia was in front of Sebastian's vehicle. And when traffic finally started moving. The fact that she was just so nonchalant about it and like, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to read this letter in my car in the middle of traffic, even though traffic is moving now. Sebastian's reaction was pretty standard. It was pretty normal. He honks on the horn and then he drives up next to her just to what a lot of people like to do. They want to see if the driver is as idiotic as they, they seem to be. And so, you know, he just kind of like shakes his head at her and then drives off. Yeah, yeah. I think that when that happens, I don't know. It's not even... You know, she's practicing a script. That's what she's doing. So she's got the phone up as though she's on a call. But really, she's practicing for the 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 scene that she's going to do in front of these people, which, you know, gets interrupted. It's just, oh, my gosh, like ridiculous and painful to see. It is. It's painful to watch that happen. But she's practicing in the car with the phone. She's on her way to this audition. I think with her in her car, on the one hand, yeah, are we trying to get where we're trying to go? Absolutely. And so, you know, we get frustrated. I don't, I, 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 is, right? I, I, yeah, I'm dude, just coming back from Chicago. I thought people honked their horns a lot out here at, at times a lot when out here in LA <laughs> stuck in traffic. No, no, dude. It's like a, it's like a go-to some people like straight up laid on their horn. This one woman, we drove by the situation. This person was making a right turn and I don't know what the hell was going on, but this other woman behind it, this is like some soccer mom is like, holding her hand on the horn dude we drove we were stuck in traffic for a while going the opposite direction and i could hear that horn for another couple minutes it was it and it seemed to last mm. so long and you could just hear the drone the, it, you know as you pass by the the frequency sounds a little bit different so it's just like mm. 
like the tone of it, but it was, it was like changed, but it was still going. I thought, wow. So again, it's not, it's just people trying to get just where they're trying obnoxious. to go. Yeah. People being, I'm not people just thinking that they're, they're just being so inconvenienced. I think it's ironic because you know, they're in their world. He wants to get where he's going and she's just in her own little world, just being like, you know, I'm just going to take the time to, to learn this thing right now. Um, and she's nervous and she's she's taking a moment. If she's going to be stuck in traffic, she's like, well, I want to make use of this time. So she's like going through the script to, to, to do that. And then I think on the one hand, yeah, you're right. That sometimes you want to see who this asshole is that's holding you up. But at the same time, you want them to see uh you want them to see your fucking how pissed you are that exactly like get over yourself asshole like there's more people involved like and you know he's still holding his horn as he like looks at her and is like shaking his head like gosh the nerve (laughs) you wouldn't think that they would be destined for each other because they had such a negative first interaction actually I i would argue the second one is even worse than the first one but it actually like if they can make it through that then it's kind of all downhill from there really it's true but do you but this goes back to what we were what i was saying before that quote from yusuf uh, peeper music articulates the inner dynamism of man's existential self he 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 gives a glimpse into the inner dynamism of his existential self she comes in and so this inner expression of himself because this is a song he's writing um which actually becomes like the theme song of their relationship right and it's not by accident either it's like that's the thing that binds them because it's his song it's his song it came from him he didn't write it for anybody but himself and because that's who he is right so he doesn't do things because he wants to do it for other people he does it because it's the it's the thing he wants to do and she she likes that talk about good vibes good vibes only you know the the vibes is short for vibrations and sound waves are vibrations and you know when we pass through we go through life we we sometimes catch glimpses of each other's vibrations that's why it's why we we were able to do this podcast that's why you know your wife suggested it is because uh we have a a way of uh, we, we 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 have good vibes between us and talking about movies and everything so there's um the sort of a chemistry there, right? So that Definitely. that's not you don't have with just necessarily everybody else. And so so she hears this, she hears these vibes that come straight from him. These are purely him. He created this song. This is all in his head, never heard before. And she's intrigued by it. And so she comes in. He's just playing this boring ass holiday music. No one in the restaurant is even listening to him. But then you have Mia on the other hand, which she might arguably be in a worse situation where she's working the shitty coffee shop job right and then she goes to that audition and that audition just fucking goes up in flames like they couldn't care less about her and she feels fucking embarrassed i've been to an audition i haven't actually auditioned but i've been to an audition before with my friend so growing up he was an aspiring actor and so he was like hey you want to come with me to la i want to do this audition out there so i was like cool you know i've never been to one and so we walk in and there's like this long line of people out the door and we walk in and he checks in at the front desk and they ask me, like, are you auditioning too? And I was just like, hell no, I'm not. I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> Is Shaniqua there? <laughs> hell no. Nah. Shaniqua don't live here no more. <laughs> But the thing is, I was nervous just being there. And I'm not even the one that's freaking auditioning. I'm not being interviewed for this job. But I was nervous for my friend and seeing all these people, you know, aspiring for the same thing. And man, I was was just thinking like competition is stiff. Competition is stiff. They all look, I mean, they're all trying to fit the role. So all those redheads as well. And they're just, you're just a number. 
she's already like kind of flustered because she gets that coffee like splashed up against her shirt so she has to wear that jacket and she looks kind of ridiculous and then she it's funny because she walks out you know and she's all bummed that she she kind of bombed that uh, audition and so she unzips the jacket and she's, she reveals that stain and and as she's walking past you see all these people that look just like her but yeah um you know some might say even prettier or like better presented than she was and so she was just yeah. kind of at a disadvantage from the start but um yeah going back to the song though how you're saying he didn't write it for her but i would i think an argument could be made that the song was for her and he didn't even know yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely destiny like you were saying before like if you ever get around to watching rent one of the characters in rent um he's like this former musician that i don't know he, his life just kind of like went to shit he's trying to write this fantastic song right the song that's gonna revive his career and he's like frustrated because he's like fuck like he's having a mental block and the whole movie he's kind of working on it oh. it takes someone else to kind of um see him for who he is who he truly is she's the one that lifts him up and gives him courage to finish the song and then the song that he was writing was kind of meant for her and he just didn't realize it and so i think that was similar dynamic here interesting yeah i mean just going back to what you said before about uh about that sort of destiny it's interesting because in as much as it there is that 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 sort of as the greeks would say fate right it was fate that brought them together. Her car got towed. Had her car not been towed, she would never have walked by and heard him playing. Well, she wasn't even going to go out to that party to begin with. Like her friends had to basically peer pressure her into it. Right. So she goes and then she doesn't have a good time at all, really. And uh, and then add insult to injury. Suddenly there she is. Her car got towed. And so not only does she have to have to walk home. A lot of these series of unfortunate events ha needed to happen seemingly unfortunate right it's like hearing it's as though hearing him create from himself this song this 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 expression of himself inspires her and how you're saying it, it initially seemed like she forgot who he was but maybe she was so drawn to the music that she kind of just let all that go she remembers who he was to her how that blaring horn and all that stuff but but what do we really know what does she really know she she thought she knew who he was she thought he was an asshole but then she hears that song it was she's so moved by it that she wants to tell him i just heard you play and she's so moved to say <laughs> that like he touched he really did touch her and so then she's willing to just let it all let like put let bygones be bygones and and let their relationship start afresh i think that piano gig was it was really interesting to see because we're conditioned to especially with romantic movies we're conditioned for these unrealistic scenarios to happen so it's like they lock eyes and they know that they're meant for each other right then and there and then he goes and kisses her but that's not what happens he just like brushes her off in the rudest way possible and she's just kind of like left just stunned by the whole interaction right there's a lot going on here and when i was watching with brenda she was just like what a fucking asshole I think that's how they were trying to portray him was they're trying to portray him as being like this fucking unlikable person, you know, this, this jerk. But if you think of it from his point of view, he was in a tough spot. He was really frustrated and he just got fired. You know, like, you're just like, can I catch a break? Like nothing's going right for me right now. The, the restaurant owner, Bill, he gives them simple instructions. Just play these 
what like the handful of holiday tunes I tell you to play and you're going to get a paycheck. And he's just like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play my original song. And he plays it knowing that Bill's not going to like it. But then he thinks that Bill's just going to let him get away with it. And he's surprised when he's fired. But Bill's kind of like tired of having to tell him multiple times, babysit him, you know, like, hey, you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. So I'm just going to hire someone who who will. So I kind of say from Bill's point of view, you know, he's trying to run a business and he doesn't need any unpredictable circumstances happening in his restaurant. And then you got Sebastian, who's this isn't what he wants to do. And he just kind of wants to express himself artistically probably just been doing these little gigs that are just soul sucking and he's been frustrated that he can't really get anywhere he can't get any footing to start working towards his dream by that club and turn it into the jazz studio which is like his his lifelong dream right i think when you're in such a, a low spot you don't really think about anyone outside of your bubble and he takes his stuff and he just storms out the door. And so I, I think in that moment, he didn't really see her there. She was just like an object in his way. And he just like brushes her off. It wasn't personal. He didn't see her and say like, fuck you too. It was just, he's just getting the fuck out of there. He's, he's angry. Yeah. I mean, he does address it later. Like he did see what happened, but I think that was in hindsight. Like in the moment he was just seeing red and I don't think he truly saw her standing there. But in, in, in her defense, she didn't really know the circumstances. She didn't know what was going on. All she knew was how she felt and she wanted to tell him that she really appreciated it. And, you know, it, the looks on everybody's faces in the restaurant when he finishes, you know, he's standing up uh, at the at the piano and there's like a spotlight on him. So then the lights open up more and you can see the faces of all of the patrons inside the restaurant and they're all looking at him. Mm -hmm. It's like he wanted so badly to be to perform, but really it was supposed to just be kind of like background music, not supposed to be necessarily like a uh, like a concert. <laughs> right. Not supposed to be a concert. It wasn't about him. It was about the food and it was about just creating an ambiance for people. And uh he just really wanted to express himself, right? So like you said, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He he feels creatively stunted. He, want, he wants to be able to express himself that way. But yeah, it's so funny because it reminds me, just a real quick story on that topic. But my cousin uh, had this amazing set list ready for uh, this Christmas party. Ironically, <laughs> Christmas. Hmm. And it was for, it was a Christmas party for these uh, hairstylists. And he knew them because he, he actually, one of them was his hair, was his, was his hairstylist, actually mine as well. So he had this dope ass playlist or set list rather. And I had been on the journey and I he looped me in and it was going to be amazing. And I'm still waiting for this set list to be able to be played because that night, all they wanted to hear was what they wanted to hear. They wanted some reggaeton and they wanted to just mm -hmm. dance. They wanted the, the, the top 40 type stuff. And, uh, and he very much like Ryan Gosling was like pissed that they didn't want to allow him to to, to do this for me told them already like hey this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna create this this set list for you guys it's gonna be dope anyway it was a, it was it's a cool set list but it just didn't he never got to really showcase it because they they were we were getting so much feedback it was not unlike you know jk simmons basically telling ryan gosling like hey just stick to it stick to yeah. it, stick to the stuff don't you know don't go jason waterfalls you know what i'm saying yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> And he hasn't even hit rock bottom yet because months later, Mia runs into Seb again, but this time at a pool party. And there's a lot of parties going on in LA. 
They right. all, that, apparently, that's all all anyone does is just they just go to parties. Right. Exactly. Well, they're like networking. Right. There's an it's always an opportunity. You don't want to miss an opportunity because, as she was saying, like as her girlfriends were saying, look, I've got a lot of I've have a bunch of scripts in my inboxes or, or in my inbox, and I can I'll, I'll set you up with it. Blah blah blah. Um, so it's all about, it's all about who, you know, and uh, making connections. And so it's that guy is about who, you know, in any form, is. like any job you get into, it's always about who, you know, Yeah. especially starting out as an actor, like you, you definitely need to just, you got to get your name out there one way or another. Right. And so in a way she, she very much can relate just thinking about it now, actually, I hadn't really thought of it this way before, but she can very much relate to him. Because she's used to going to these auditions for these parts that aren't really what she wants to do. Just like, you know, he doesn't want to really be playing these silly gigs <laughs> at a, you know, doesn't want to be playing, Chris, you know, Christmas songs at a, at a restaurant. And he doesn't want to be at a pool party playing the fucking guitar and shit. I mean, the guitar was pretty badass for a decade. I mean, a solid decade. Uh, but I mean, that's the last thing he really wants to, to be doing dressed the way he was as well. And it's just like, so, oh yeah, it's, it's so not, it's, it's so less than what he's capable of. And I, and I think she, and she knows that she knows that she sees that. And she's just like, that's why she's eating, like the, 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 the facial expressions, how like sarcastic she's being, oh, she's, just, she's eating it up. She is, but she's seen, cause she's seen him. She knows it's just interesting that again, she's, she can relate to him through her own uh, creative endeavors with acting and mm -hmm. him with music. Oh, really quick. Maybe you might remember it better, but what was that one audition that Mia went to? The one where she was, the script was fucking ridiculous, but like she was saying these lines so seriously and it was fucking hilarious. It's where she's, it's supposed to be like dangerous minds um, <laughs> meets the OC. That's what it was. Dangerous minds meets the OC. And she's like supposed to be this teacher who's like this, yeah. you know, hard ass uh but can reach the kids what was, what was the line though she says something like no you be tripping or something like you that. right exactly exactly no you be tripping oh my gosh Ser super serious expression on her face i imagine that's how a lot of auditions go is like you make it what it is so you don't really know exactly how they want you to do it but you know it's like you have your own interpretation and that was her interpretation of that scene so some people probably could have taken in a more comedic route, but you know, she went serious and that line is just, it's so fucking stupid, but it was hilarious at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Did you think that uh, it was pretty organic the way that their relationship evolved throughout the film? Because after the party, it seems like they're both on the same page that like, all right, we both recognize that there's some sort of chemistry here and that's, personified by the song that they sing uh, a lovely night yeah the, the song is is very cheeky you know because they're both kind of flirting with each other but like they're saying that me hanging out with you is a waste of this beautiful day exactly early on in relationships and you know you're like flirting and you you kind of do like poke and prod each other and you're, you're kind of like giving each other shit in a uh, fun way like in a lighthearted way not mean-spirited right right playful yeah, and I think that that's that's interesting too because after they share this this whole dance scene, which man, that's something else that's a, that's that's so interesting to me is when you have that chemistry with dancing. It's so it's so rare to have that. Having gone out dancing enough myself, it's like you don't uh, you don't always have that. So when you see that in another person, it's almost like when you see this person dance, and when you're dancing with them, you you can feel it. You can feel the flow. 
and it's wonderful and it's and again like i said it's not like it happens every time you go out dancing it's rare but when you do have it it's like time stops but like you you felt that spark that they saw in each other as they were dancing uh you know they they start doing that like tap dance number or whatever and you um, do you she do. switches you, her you, shoes yeah exactly exactly and i think he was talking about the the the, the uh Something about the heels. I forget what she mentions, but then she's changing her shoes and he's kicking dirt her way while she's changing <laughs> her shoes, you know, kicking dirt on her, on her feet. Um, yeah, I think it's awesome. But what's, what's, what's the, the real giveaway here is that, that even though he was saying what, you know, he is, you realize he, he didn't really, he wasn't sincere when he said that this was a, a waste of a beautiful evening of beautiful sunset. He was being insincere about that because you realize after he's walked her to her car she thinks oh she's i'll give you a ride to your car not and he goes oh no i'm over here and then so she drives away and he walks all the way back to where his car actually was which was just in front of the house that he was that he did the gig at so he only went on that trip just to walk with her yeah and so you realize that all along even though he was saying like oh this is a waste of a beautiful night he really wanted to to dance with her he, he just wanted to actually spend more time with her get to know her actually get to know her yeah i think they they realize that when you know he's kind of venting to her pulls her aside at the party and she's just like yeah well so, oh, you got something to say to me you got you're gonna apologize for being an asshole before and i'm a serious musician and you requested yeah Iran. you don't you understand what i'm going through but i think even then like they both saw that spark it in was each a other. flirt they both felt it absolutely it was yeah. just being it was just him being flirtatious of course Cause yeah, cause she she reaches out, she stands out in the crowd. She's not like, and and you see, there's there's a lot of beautiful women in bikinis all around the party, but none of them attract him that way. None none of them none of them. That's not what he was looking none, for. None of them touch his heart the way that she does. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's interesting about that scene too, because obviously that's one of the iconic scenes from this movie, and you know the cover art and everything, them dancing on that uh, overlook. This was actually filmed outside during twilight. And um, I mean, if you've ever tried to take photos or videos during twilight, you know how difficult that is because you only have what, like 10 minutes. Like once you reach golden hour, dude, like that sun goes down super fast. Yeah. And twilight doesn't last that long either. So they really wanted that whole dance number to be done during twilight. It looked beautiful too. Stunning. Like I actually thought that was a set. <laughs> I thought that was fake, oh. but um, yeah, it was it was actually done outside, and they actually got that shot done on the second day and the fourth overall take. Incredible! With each take, once they were done, they would quickly like reset and then try to do it again. But also, like makeup would have to make sure that they're not all sweaty and shit because they just got doing a dance number. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Thank God they weren't with uh, Stanley Kubrick. That would have been. <laughs> Oh, they would have been there a week. <laughs> they would have been there a week film, filming that just to, <laughs> just to get it that way. Um, yeah. The perfect take. And then they would have just gone with the first one to begin with. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But then they would have had more to choose from. And yeah, anyway. No, that that's interesting, though. Under those constraints to, to make something beautiful happen like that. The light, the light is wonderful in the backdrop. And then... Um, they did a great job of making it seem so... The, the light so cool on them and yet still well lit. For anybody even who's like fucking done like Zoom meetings or interviews uh, from their computer, if like even right now, I'm just using light from my room that's like kind of overhead and there's all this like shadow cast on my face. Like you, you really have mm -hmm. to, there's, there's more invested in actually having really, really good lighting. So for them to make it look so easy 
there's always um there's all there's always a lot of work that goes into that so i mean like i i'm digging your decorations though for your set you have that little cabbage patch thing behind you yeah yeah, yeah the, the cabbage picture patch frame thing, and everything dude, absolutely man it's uh it's all about the vibes bro it's all about those vibes you know it's not not easy everything just screams podcasting <laughs> you know it's uh thank you i'm glad you appreciate that i can't tell you all the work that went into me setting the room up this way you, you take full credit that uh, full full credit yeah this is all oh, cabbage patch did uh, it's all me baby <laughs> it's all me funny i mean it's just cool to see that that yeah i don't know it's like one of those things they, i don't even know that they knew that this was going it was going to become an iconic scene let alone just a a, a shot you know on the front of the mm-hmm. movie the poster and all that maybe they hoped it would be but it's it's up there I like when things kind of organically happen that way. Last episode, um, I was explaining us coming up with the logo and then the title for the podcast and all that and the the theme music and all that just happened organically. It's not like we just knew it from day one. That logo wasn't the original one, but it's what it it became after just just kind of fleshing out different options. And um, I like what we decided on. You know, they they may have had a different cover art in mind but then when they saw that scene they're probably just like hell yeah like that perfectly represents what this movie is yeah i mean there's so many other things i mean i think there are other times in the movie that could have been the movie poster as well like when they're in the uh is that would that be called they're in the griffith observatory Mm, in that planetarium the planetarium exactly Mm um yeah that that the shadows of them dancing all that stuff i mean that that could definitely yeah the relationship quickly starts moving along because right after the Twilight dance number, Seb visits me at the her coffee shop on the Warner yeah. Brothers studio lot. And right. it's cool because what I liked about this whole area of the movie was that they're walking along the back lot and she's explaining her desire to be an actress and her love of filmmaking. Then he shares his passion, which is jazz music. And unsurprising to him, she's not a huge fan of jazz, but he's like determined to win her over on jazz music. So he tells her about like the club that he's going to own someday. And he invites her to a screening, something they, they can both share an interest in and both enjoy from their own perspectives. But he invites her to that screening of Rebel Without a Cause. And right. she's excited for it. You know, she's like, hell yeah, I haven't seen it. And, you know, if you say it's good, I trust you. Let's go watch it. And so, yeah, she accepts his invitation. But this is where there's a little bit of a twist because we find out that Mia has a boyfriend, a boyfriend named Greg. Well, he's still right. He, he Seb asks about him because he had heard that she, you know, because remember, he mentions to her as they're walking the Warner Brothers lot uh, during that scene that you're talking about where she's talking about her love of acting um it, she's she's prompted by him because he, he straight up asks her how did you get into all this and they have to be really quiet because now they're there's something being filmed right there so they're they're talking in hushed tones uh or she is rather and telling you know her, her she's sharing this bit about herself so he but he asks you know how's the how's great how's the boyfriend or whatever and then he mentions greg you know he, he acts like he doesn't know but then he says the name greg and i think it's brilliant that he does i think it's brilliant that that was written that way because it shows her that he's paying attention even to that detail, even to the other man. Which is something that Greg can't say because he 
he knows that they're in a relationship, but is he really paying any attention to her? He just, he drags her along to this date she doesn't want to be on. And then the entire time he's having his own conversation, not including her at all. Right. And then she's just a pretty face and then she's just along. And the other guy's uh, significant other is she's just like going along with the whole thing. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're just different people. They really are just different people. No, no, uh, no, no knock on him as a person, but there's not that same connection that she has with uh seb and and that's evident when she she hears through the speakers in the restaurant i mean she's already feeling anxious you could see it it's on her face i mean and if the guy was at all aware if that guy paid attention at all to to her or 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 cared about her should have noticed it yeah he could tell she felt agitated she that she was uh she was she was just putting on a a brave face or whatever but going back to what we said before about this song reaching through to her she hears that song in her head come through the speakers and she takes it as a sign. Finally, that's it. I'm, I'm out of here because it makes her happy. She, There she is feeling anxious and not fitting in with them and not really care, giving a shit what they're talking about. And then, and, and so it's just building and building. And, uh, and there's all this sort of like anxiety all over her face. And then suddenly she hears that song and, her, and she smiles. Yeah. And it's like, that's when she just knows those are the vibes. Those are the his vibrations she wants, not mm. this guy's. She recognized what she wanted, and she broke it off with uh, homeboy. You know, she just she ditches him. Yeah, she knew she had to, and uh, it's 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 really it's listening to that inner voice. It's not doing things for other people's sake, but doing what we know to be true to us, and she knows what's true to her. They seem like polar opposites, Greg and Sebastian, because. She was at this fancy-looking restaurant. He was probably going to pay for her. Probably, maybe even he's able to pay for the entire table. He seems pretty well off. But the thing is, she's not in it for the money. Like She doesn't want someone for their money. And Sebastian Precisely. doesn't have any of that. But he invited her something way uh, more lower scale. Like, hey, let's go see a movie at the shitty broke-down movie theater. And she was like, How fuck yeah. I would rather, I would rather be there than here at this fancy restaurant. Right exactly there's there's a deeper connection there and rather than f- do the thing that seems to make sense you know on paper which is be you know choose stability choose the guy who's going to give you stability and security uh he can provide for for her but it'll be a loveless relationship you know and she's she can already see that and it's like she'll just have more of that as time goes on and maybe she can buy some nice things and live in a nice house and all that but you know, you can't get time back. You'll never be that age again. It's similar to Titanic. You know, she chose this poor guy over the, the rich guy that she was actually with. Exactly. There's there's obviously having security and and uh, stability. It means something, especially if you want to start a family. I can see a, a woman wanting to have that to feel safe to have kids and start a life. But she values something else more than that, which is that deep connection with a, uh, with somebody that she's attracted to that that has, I don't know, it speaks to her soul, like quite literally actually speaks to her soul. And she has an opportunity with him. And I'm sure she's been, as you saw in the, in the movie when they go to that first house party where her, to- her car gets towed and everything, um, it's not as though guys aren't approaching her. They are. And some of them, you know, they seem pretty well off. You know, they come up and they're in their suits and everything. And 
Um, and she just imme- as soon as they like one guy like sits down next to her, she immediately like stands up and walks away, you know? <laughs> goes and grabs a drink or something like that. But yeah, um, the point is that it's not it's not just about it's not about the money for her. Like you were saying before, it's not just about that stability. And there's no, there's no knock uh, on that. It's just, um, yeah, she, I guess she just doesn't want to look back on it seems that she doesn't want to look back on her life and wish that she had done something different. Uh, she doesn't want to just be in a stable relationship or sorry, have, have the money, but not have the, that deep love. And I think there's a lot to say about people that are, are just kind of in the, the same boat as well, because they're both struggling artists, you know, albeit in different fields, but like, right. I think well, what's cool about their relationship and their dynamic is that they're building each other up and they're pushing each other to achieve their own respective dreams at the same time. And I think that's what's so charming about their relationship. That's why you root for them is because they're exactly what they needed at that time. Right. They're there at ground zero. They're not, it's not as though he's already wildly successful and therefore is going to attract more, more women. And and maybe they're not going to really like him for who he is, but simply because they can be, you know, associated with somebody who's successful. Um, it won't in other words it may it won't be a genuine connection so they're meeting each other like i said at ground zero where they're building themselves up and it's interesting because so here she had this guy who could who could treat them treat her to this really fancy dinner out with these friends who were talking about indonesia just indonesia oh my gosh and they're just you know going on about indonesia i mean shout out to indonesia though yeah, I would. I'm, not, I'm no knock on Indonesia at all. I would love to, to be able to visit um, Bali. I hear is is gorgeous, but it's like they're they're. It's like this sort of braggadocious thing, you know. It's not yeah. even so much like it's it's just for show. It feels like bringing up all these things. It's just. Uh, it's what you explained about LA. You're saying that everyone's just kind of pretentious. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say that everyone is, but there's just so many people who, who are just trying to, they're looking out for themselves, trying to make it, make, make a, a mark, you know, uh, try, trying to, trying to reach this particular goal. So they'll, they, they try to play the role that they think other people want them to. Whatever you need me to be, I'll do, I'll be that. So yeah, so you have her at dinner with, with this rich guy um, who could take care of her, but instead she chooses the guy that, that is the, the struggling artist, like you said. Who, and and has a conversation with her mom that she wouldn't have had if it were Greg. And that conversation is on the phone where she's basically saying, um, explaining Seb's situation. You know, they're, they're living together, I think, at that point, or at least she's spending a lot more time at his apartment. And she's explaining to her mom, no, no, he doesn't have a stable job right now. Or no, no, he's, you know, he's, he's between jobs or whatever. No, but he's, he's working on, he has a vision. You know, he has a vision. He knows where he wants to go. He's got a goal, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, she's going out of her way for this man when she wouldn't have had to do that for this other guy. If all she was looking for was stability, if all she was looking for was what her mom wants for her, her mom is just doing what a mom does, which is to make sure that, you know, her, her, her her little girl's taken care of. Yeah. That she's going to be okay. And is going to, is going to have all her needs taken care of. Yeah. Mia didn't grow up in LA. It, she explains later that she moved from, was it like Nevada or Arizona Nevada. or something like that? Nevada. She pursued LA to achieve her dream of acting. It's a risk. So many people, they flock to LA thinking that they're going to make it big. And a lot of them end up failing. You know, that's just kind of the nature yeah. of it. Exactly. I mean, you, you hope that you might stand out from the crowd. You hope that you've got what it takes. But I mean, you have somebody like John Hamm who had been acting for 
years and years. And it wasn't until he was around, I think it was like 32 or 33 that he finally got mad landed Mad Men. I think that's how old he was from 32, 33. Isn't that funny how that happens for a lot of actors is they don't find success until much later in life. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. I, I know uh, Mark Ruffalo started making it big later in his life as well. And yeah, it it's, but it's a, it's a grind. And again, there's no guarantee. There's just all sorts of variables there. Yeah. So she chooses to go to that, that movie instead that he, that he recommended. And so, yeah, it's, it's, inter- I don't know. That's, that's pretty awesome though. It shows their fun dynamic too, because they go to the, the movie theater and they're watching the movie, but then the movie projector malfunctions. And so the movie's fucked. That's not the end of the date, though. You know, let's make a night of it. And so they end up going to the Griffith Observatory, which have, would have totally been closed by that point. I don't know how the hell they got in. Ha. But they get it's in true. and they start, you know, just exploring the observatory and then they make it to the planetarium. Uh, this is such a visually striking scene. Like, what was your take on the scene? Because this was very fantasy like. It's fantasy where they start floating and they're dancing among the stars and everything. Hmm. It's almost a representation of how they feel about each other. Yes, like they're yes. just kind of so over the moon that it, it feels unreal. They're in another world. Exactly. They, they've created this world with themselves and uh, with each other. And uh, they're just swimming in it, reveling in it. Um, I think it's beautiful. And when I first saw it, I was just again, I, I was swept up in it. It was so it was wonderful. And there they are dancing. You can see their silhouettes dancing as the gal as they're moving through the universe and approaching <laughs> Jupiter and just doing this. They're, they're doing what looks I mean, I don't I don't know uh, the, the terms. Well, I think it's like a waltz, though, because there's they're spinning mm. and spinning and spinning. Mm-hmm. And then he, he twirls her and then they're spinning again together and step the visuals for this part of the movie. Top yeah. notch. Oh, the representation. I don't know. It's just it's it's kind of unexpected, but it was a welcome surprise. Because it's set in a world that is so realistic, it's it, de- it definitely is unexpected, but such a a, a a beautiful way to convey what's happening inside of them. And I think in times when I've watched it, I think I think this is either like I said, uh, my my third or fourth time actually watching it. I think it might just be my third. The first time I saw it, I just saw what happened and I was just like caught up in it. The second time I, it happened, I was thinking about the wire team. But like, how did they do this? I was thinking about the how now because I knew it was coming. Because <laughs> he he like lifts her up, right? And she floats yeah, away. Yeah, he just kind of, and then she starts to float away. And then he Lies does. And I'm a looking, so I'm like, exactly. So now I'm looking at their clothes and I'm, th- I'm looking for the puckers. I'm looking for something that's like, how are they being hoisted up? And so I actually, I did that again, knowing it was going to come up this time. But then I was co- I was more cognizant of that thought process this time. And, and I was able to just kind of let it go and just accept what was happening again. Instead of pulling myself out of the drama to, to analyze it, I just kind of let myself go there. Sometimes, though, I think I'll say this when uh, gosh, what scene was it that got me like really that hit me hard? Yeah, I think it's the yeah, no, it was this it was the lead up to that moment. I actually paused the movie and had to take a break. I was eating dinner. And so I actually, I was, I paused it real quick, washed the dishes. And then anyway, uh, I felt, I, I just got so swept up in it again, because, because for me, the memories are of, of being there in that moment of having that, that new love, you know, and, and all those learning, getting to know the person and feeling mm-hmm. that chemistry in, in the back of my mind, knowing that it's going to end for them, knowing for myself that it's ended before for me as well. 
remembering the person that I was with when I first saw this movie and and how that didn't work out, uh, but how much I, I still love that person and, uh, and, and and how sad I am that things didn't work out, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, so it's all of that and unprocessed, unprocessed grief uh, of the loss of, of mourning that, that I didn't allow myself to have. And so agreeing to watch this movie was not easy. I, I knew that it was good. And I, I remember telling you like, oh, that's going to be a tough one. And I'm really mm-hmm. glad actually that, uh, that we got to do this, uh, the, the two of us. I know that we were going to have uh, another uh, uh, friend of ours join us, but I was like, I don't know if I can go there with, with him because I don't know him as well. Mm-hmm. But with you, I feel like, oh, I can be, I could be that More vulnerable. candid. More candid. Yeah. Because it, 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 this movie definitely requires a, a willingness to be vulnerable. Otherwise you miss so much, all the nuances, all the subtleties. Because, because, you know, oh, I, I can't show them that I'm going to cry or get choked up. Like, I've already gotten choked up several times just thinking about it. But Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a powerful thing. Yeah, so so they, they do such a good job of getting you swept up. And I think that's what it is for me is feeling the, the joy, seeing it in her eyes, and then immediately in my mind juxtaposing that look in her eyes of wonderment, of love, with juxtaposing that with, at the very end, the, the, the sort of the pain and the, the sense of loss there's that shared grief i think it's it's super important to show stuff like this like how much they have fallen in love with each other because it gets you invested in the relationship not long after this you know things start kind of getting rough for them um that's kind of what you're you're alluding to before when she's on the phone with her mom kind of explaining her relation her decision to pursue this relationship with seb and you know this is following a lot of failed auditions like a lot and so, as I was saying, they're perfect for each other because they're what each other needed at that time. They're both struggling and who better to see where they're at and what they're feeling than each other because they're both in the same spot. So he encourages her to, you know, fuck all these auditions that you're going to. You should just make a play and you will be the star because I think like you do great in that. And so she, you know, she takes him up on that idea and she starts developing that. Meanwhile, when she's on the phone and Seb overhears her talking about him and she's defending him, you know, she's like, no, you know, like he's, he's getting everything in line and he, things are going to start turning around for him. I know it. I believe in him, but he, he feels guilt, you know, like he feels like, man, I'm, I'm holding her back. I'm the one that's like dragging everyone down. And so I think that's when in one of the their date nights, they run into Seb's former bandmate, Keith. He invites him to this new band, this new gig that he's starting up. He thinks that Sebastian will be a great fit because they need a keyboardist. And not, not just any keyboardist, but a, a skilled one. He's perfect for the job, but he'd basically be selling out. That's not what he really wants to do. He, he really wants to do this. He, he wants to start his own jazz club for her, for Mia. He has to just kind of take the bullet for the team and... You know, right. he, he almost turns into a sellout. I don't know if I would say that he's necessarily holding them back because like you said before, they're both in the same place. But what it is, uh, as a man, you feel the need to be the provider and he really does love her. He doesn't want to, to lose her. So um, not just doesn't want to lose her, but he wants to be the man as well. Like we, 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 it's it's like wants to rise to the occasion, wants to be the provider. Whereas before he met her, he would never really have, he would have stuck to his guns and tried to be this like lone wolf and, and do it on his own terms. But without her actually ever asking him to, he just feels compelled. He feels driven to, to, to do this thing. Yeah, to, to take it upon himself and to sell out finally uh, so that he can 
make the money because she said something like i think he's saving up yeah kind of this loser guy that she has to she has to lie to her mom about <laughs> i get from her i get from her like i said before it's complex because i get from her mom's perspective she's looking out for her daughter and she's defending him because she both loves him and she sees his potential which is also what's tied up in that glance that they have at the very end where they look into each other's eyes from a distance but it's almost like an, an it's it's an acknowledgement that they not only did they have this great love, but that they were right to believe in each other. But again, it's like him just feeling like, fuck, not that he's fucking up, but that he's like, damn, I'm going to have to make a change here. This wasn't part of my plans, but she's in my life now. She's out, he's planning a life around her. He starts going against what it is he really wants to do. And that's when. You know, now they're apart. Now they're not spending as much time together at the apartment. You know, you see she's she's drawing up, you know, she's painting sets and everything. And so he mm. comes home from from his gig and all her paperwork's kind of scattered on the floor um, uh, from the play and then the paints and everything. And then he just, you know, he lays in bed next to her, but not holding her. He he just lays in his bed on top of the covers, fully dressed and she's under the covers. You can tell like there's there's starting to be some distance there a little bit. There's yeah, they're starting to distance. You know, there's not the same time being spent with each other because he's all a lot. He's on the road a lot, so she's not able to even really share what's going on with him. And you know, if you notice, it's him that has his back to her when they're laying in the bed. She could spoon him. You know, they, if they're going to do big spoon, little spoon kind of thing, they're both facing the same direction, but his back is to her and she's under the covers. It's like, it's very symbolic. He's not, he's not under the covers with her. He's not sharing with her what happened and everything. He's resentful. He resents her, even though she never asked it of him. He mm -hmm. resents that she is in his life and that he can't be who he thinks he can't be. He can't express himself. He's like I said, he's sort of blaming her for that, even though it's not her fault. He might be a little a little envious too because she's still pursuing her dream while he he just flat out put his own hold. Right. He may never, like, must be never nice. even get back to it. Yeah. Right, exactly. He's like must be nice kind of thing. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, I'm over here making money, thousand dollars a week at the very least, which is what he agreed to and some other stuff. I think it was kinda of cool though. I mean, you know, it's a steady form of income and that's that's basically what it's all about. It's just like it's it's like when you work a job that's not your passion, but hey, it's steady income and it's paying the bills right now. But I think what what was cool about this too was that even though there was some distance between them, they still had these little moments of how they felt about each other early on in the relationship. You know, like they they're reminded of that, and that's portrayed when they're both singing "City of Stars" because you know he's at the piano and he's right. You know, he's just playing by himself, but then she comes over, and that starts bringing them back together, closer together, and you know they start bonding again over the music they're they're singing the song and it's sweet I, I think that might be my favorite song of the movie was when they're both singing city of stars yeah our dreams they finally came true they're starting to giggle a little bit you know they're they're yeah. starting to have fun again yeah well it's bittersweet because it's dying like you know that their love is slowly starting to fade like the sun setting that night that they danced together, the dying embers of the day. This is the dying embers of their, of their relationship. And you know, the band does find success. Mia, she, I think she goes to one of the concerts and she's surprised at what the band actually is and what kind of music it is. Cause I think she had a different idea of what it is that the band was going to be and what uh, Sebastian was going to be doing. But um, I think the audience was originally supposed to think that Sebastian was just going to be flat out miserable doing this gig. 
what was interesting was that Sebastian was able to find joy in it. Like you can see him and like, you know, he, he looks goofy or whatever. And he's, he has like three sets of keyboards or whatever, and they all do different things, different sounds. It's pretty simple. It's not very challenging for him. He's just basically playing like one note the entire time. But um, it looks like he's he's able to enjoy it for what it is, even though it's not his dream gig. I guess he's not being honest with himself and he's not being honest with her. And she knows that she can see it because this isn't him. Yeah, he does smile, but I don't think he really I don't think he's genuinely enjoying himself. I think he's enjoying himself only insofar as he's reaching, quote unquote, a level of success. He's doing the thing. He's being successful at the thing that he that he thought would keep them together. Isn't that, that's part of what's heartbreaking about the whole thing is is he's doing it for her. And so even though he, when he smiles, he smirks or whatever, it's like it's not because he's got all these other girls that are, you know, dancing around because they're showcasing that piece too. very symbolically, you know, the crowd is pushing her back. So she so they're 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 kind of pushing toward the stage and she's getting kind of funneled backwards. I remember her being surprised when the tune changes from what he starts it off with to then being more like pop music mm -hmm. and uh, heavy synth, heavy synth and being all. Yeah, it's like it's so not him it's like exactly what she saw him doing i mean it's very similar to what she saw him doing at these at the party at the pool party only uh bigger scale right it's a bigger scale and <laughs> and and more importantly he's also putting on a, a he's actually smiling about it but she knows him so well she knows that he doesn't like this at all and and so um but what she doesn't know what's unspoken is that he's only doing this for her sake well, I mean, not long after that, the band has their first tour and Sebastian's kind of gone for a bit, but comes back and they have this seemingly nice romantic dinner. You know, he Sebastian surprised Mia when she gets home. She's happy to see him. But then um, Mia just she can't let it go. She has to bring up the how she really feels about Sebastian being in the band. Uh, you know, she's accusing him of giving up on his dreams while Sebastian gets defensive and he, he claims that she only liked him when he was unsuccessful. So whose side are you on? I'm on her side because what he said isn't, isn't true. That's a lie. Yeah. He, he, um, it's not about him being unsuccessful or him being unsuccessful before and all that stuff. I think it's like, it hurts him because he he's done it for her. And rather than just say, that's what he did. He attacks he gets her defensive. He, he, yeah, he gets defensive. He, he, it, what she says stings. It's tough. Like I, I see from both sides, like she couldn't just enjoy the time that they had together and she had to kind of ruin the moment. She felt she needed to get that off her chest and she felt very strongly about it and she needed to let him know him at, at the same time. I think seeing it from a guy's perspective. He was just like, listen, I wanted to surprise you. I just want to have this nice dinner and you start an argument. So fuck it. Like the night's already ruined. So I'm just going to attack you back type of thing. I mean, I've been in situations like that myself where it's like you have good intentions initially, but then it just kind of like spirals into something else. Yeah. I mean, they stop being genuine with each other. That's what really it comes down to. Or at least, you know, she... I don't know if she necessarily was trying to pick a fight as it was just her being concerned. First of all, she's hurt. See, they're both not, again, they're both not really being sincere with each other about aren't being genuine with each other about what's really bothering them. Maybe they're not realizing what's really bothering them. It's hard sometimes to, 
to be that honest with ourselves, to be so self-aware with the emotions that we're experiencing, she is feeling lonely. She's feeling that they're, that they're growing apart from each other. And so what she's not saying in those words is, I want you near me. I, I want you to be, uh, I want us to be us again. And you're not even doing something you really like. And so sure, yeah, you're making more money. But look, she wasn't even in it for the money. She, she didn't want it. I mean, she could have stayed with fucking Greg for that matter if all she wanted was money. That's not what she cared about. She cared about mm-hmm. being with Sebastian and um, and sharing her life with him. And now they're, they're not sharing a life together. They're, they're sharing an, a space together, really. And he's not ar- around very often. So then he's not being honest with her about how, how, how he really feels because now he's doing the thing that he thinks a guy is supposed to do. And the fact that she kind of throws that in his face and she doesn't really throw it in his face, but but he perceives it to be that way. He's kind of blindsided by it because he didn't even know that she had that much of an issue with him being in the band. And so he's just like, where is this all coming from? You know, like, what the fuck is going on here? It just it escalates pretty quickly. Right. Because and that's why I think it's, that's what it's precisely that surprise. It's precisely again, it's his perception. He thinks that's what the that what women that's what women want is is he's like I got to give her the stability. It's not enough to give her this love, because at the end of the day, you know, love doesn't pay the bills, and it's her mom that said those words. It's her mom that was basically looking out for this for her daughter for her daughter's security or protection, all that stuff. It's not it's not Mia that asked ever asked that of him, but it's his assumption that that's what she would want, since every woman quote quote unquote every woman would want that or wants that. But she believes in him, and I think that that's that's kind of what's insulting to him is, or, or insulting to her. She she believes he's capable of more, and uh, and that he can do it more on on his terms. Because here it's almost like he's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's telling her, "Do it your way. You, you, I believe in you. You can do it your way." But then he's he's like, "Do as I say, not as I do." That's basically what it's like. He's like, <laughs> "Do as I say. Do it your way." Uh, but I'm gonna do it this other way. I'm gonna kind. I'm gonna sell out. You know, I'm gonna do my version of shitty auditions so to speak you know well i mean he he fucks up bad though the relationship's already in a bad spot seb is doing (laughs) seb's uh, with the band and uh he finds out that there's this photo shoot um he totally forgot about and that's the night of mia's opening one woman play he misses the opening night that's just inexcusable though being in the relationship you really couldn't postpone that photo shoot or just say like, Hey, add me in later or something, you know, like you guys, you can take photos of the band now and then just tomorrow, like I'll, I'll show up and then we can just fucking add me in the photos, whatever, you know, no big deal. But no, he chose the band over her and he ends up missing the play entirely. Yeah. Again, it's. That was basically the final nail in the coffin. It was the one person she felt she could rely on to show up. Didn't even show up. No one showed up, really. That was like the biggest blow to her self-confidence. She was pretty much done after that. She was defeated in every sense of the word. And and rightfully so. Rightfully so. While it's it, was a, it wasn't the right choice to make as far as their relationship goes, he looks at that band as this is the success. This, I'm going to need this in order to... He lost sight. That's all. He just He really just lost sight of his reason why. Yeah. He forgot that he was only doing this for her sake. 
And and then it's like, what was he doing? Like he missed her play for a photo shoot. The dumbass photo shoot. Remember when it, the photographer is like, all right, so uh, point your point your hat down and then and bite your lip a little bit and like look up, like point your chin up. <laughs> it was it was so fucking ridiculous and stupid. And that's what he was missing the play for. <laughs> he's so resentful that he's leaning harder into this. This is what I have to do. This is what. Oh yeah, cool. I've already sold myself out. Like what else is there? You know what I mean? Like he's just like fuck it i'll sell out all the way he ends up showing up super late the venue is already closed and mia's come she walks out you know she's bawling and she breaks up with them she breaks up with them right there says she's moving out and going back to her parents house and uh she's given up on her acting dreams he just accepts it you know like I think he wants to let her make her own decisions, but he also doesn't go after her. He doesn't fight for her. Again, fight for more of what though? Fight for, she's changed in his mind's eye. She's the, she's the wedge. She's, she's, she's the thing keeping him from pursuing his goal because were it not for her being in his life, he wouldn't give a shit about trying to make money or be successful. He, um, in terms of just money, he would have he would have wanted to just be successful in terms of making his kind of music that he wants. Wouldn't care. Wouldn't have cared about you know saving money. I think he's saving money. He wouldn't have cared about all that shit. So in a way, it's like he's removing the thorn from his side, or what he perceives to be the thorn from his side, because now he doesn't have that person to have to worry about anymore, or or uh, be a reminder to him of what he's not doing by pursuing his own dreams. Because here she is pursuing hers, like you said. Um, I, don't, I don't know how long it was that they're um, kind of like separate from each other, but there's like remnants of her around the apartment. He's living there by himself and, you know, just to go over his own thoughts in his mind. And um, don't you still see a glimpse of that logo that she came up with? Because when he was talking about he wants to open up his his club, his jazz club. He wanted to call it like something dumb, like chicken on a stick or some shit. And she's yeah. like, no, I think you, I think you should do this. Like it should, it should just be called Sebs. And you know, she makes like this like little outline drawing and he's like, Oh, that, that's kind of cute. You for the apostrophe, you made a little music. No, that's cool. Yeah. I think like things that Mia made in preparation for her one woman play. And so all that stuff is still kind of there. And he's just kind of a husk at that point. Like he shows up, gets paid, comes back and, just like sleeps all day. But yeah, you know, I think he thought he was, he was also done with that relationship up until he receives that call. So he receives that phone call for Mia and it's the casting director was one of the like handful of people that actually attended the one woman play and said he wanted to bring her in for an audition instead of saying like, fuck her. Like, I don't, I don't know where she is, but I don't even care if she ever gets back in acting, you know, like he springs up and he's just like, oh shit, this is huge. This could be huge for her. It kind of like relights that fire within him. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm seeing more clearly now is it's not as though he hates her. He feels apathy and apathy is, is like one of the heaviest emotions. It is the heaviest emotion. It's even lower than grief. Like, like there's apathy is the lowest and then there's grief and then there's fear. And for him being at the, being in apathy, it's sort of like he lets it all happen. Apathy isn't feeling nothing. It, when you feel, it's, it's feeling numb, right? He feels numb. You see him come back to the apartment. Things are still the same there. He hasn't taken the time to actually put things away. He just goes there to sleep and then rinse, repeat, goes back, does his gig and everything. So apathy is, is numbness and it's not feeling nothing. 
it's it's actually feeling everything all at once. It's it's a lot of unprocessed emotion. And so it just stays there because you're not processing it. And so yeah, so when when the opportunity comes along for her, he still loves her. He still he still loves her and it was just confusing. There's he's feeling everything all at once because he was feeling resentful toward her because he thinks, you know, I did this for her sake and were it not for her, I wouldn't even do I wouldn't even be selling out like this. But on the other hand, like he did it for her and he and he and he was trying to build a life for her, with her. So yeah, it makes sense that he wasn't over her. He didn't want to be over her. If he wanted to be over her, if he really thought the relationship was over, he would have gotten rid of all that shit, done away with that. We're good. We're like what? Exactly. That's what that's what I thought too, was like he could have easily just been like, ah, I don't know where she is. She doesn't live here anymore. Boom, click. You know, and that would have been fucking it. That would have been the final nail in the coffin for Mia's acting career. Mia wasn't going to pursue it anymore herself. It, it kind of took Sebastian to give her that push that she needed. This like almost resurrected Sebastian in a sense. Like he even had to drive all the way the fuck out of state and track her down. He doesn't even know where Mia's parents live across the street from a library or something. So he just, he locates that library, drives to that. And then he just honks his horn until someone comes out and it happens to be Mia. Then he, you know, he tells her that, I know you said you're not going to act anymore. I just got this call from a casting director and you need to go. Obviously, she's just like, no, I'm not going to that. I, I already told you I'm not acting anymore. I'm done with that. Going back to school, whatever, maybe pursue a different career. And he said, fuck that. Like, you need to go to this because you don't know what's going to happen unless you try. I think he really felt that this was going to be her big break. This is cool because this is leading up to the climax of the film right here. He he basically like forces her into going to the audition because she really doesn't want to go. But he's like, listen, I'm going to be here tomorrow. Eight on the dot. You better be here. Otherwise, I'm not doing anything for you anymore. And so it, it was actually kind of funny because he thought she was just going to let this opportunity go. And so he was about to drive off. And then she was just like, whoa, whoa, I got us coffee. And he was, he was trying to play it off like he wasn't going <laughs> to a little bit of levity. But this actually is a dramatic part of the film right here. This is this might be the most dramatic part of the film. A fucking tearjerker, to say the least. I was pretty beat up by the scene. The audition. So... Sebastian and Mia go to the audition. Uh, you know, Mia's expecting it to go just like all the others. I think this is what really sets her apart from the other auditions is that she felt like she didn't have anything else to lose. She didn't have anything. You know, fuck it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna show you my real self. And this was also an interesting audition because the directors were like, We don't want you to play a character. We just want you to tell us a story because we're gonna build this TV show is a TV show or a movie. Well, they're going to build this project around the character. Just tell us a story, any story. And so Mia decides to tell a story about her aunt, a former stage actress who eventually died from alcoholism. But the aunt was the one that inspired Mia to chase her own dreams of being an actress. And this is where the song Audition, The Fools Who Dream, comes in. This was a fucking intense song right here in so many ways because Mia put all of her emotions into it. She was completely vulnerable. She, you know, she just let it ride. However right. um, she needed to be, like, however she felt, she let it all out. She was completely transparent. What was cool about this part of the song was that director Damien Chazelle, he let Emma sing this part live while he was recording it. And so she wasn't lip syncing with the, the recorded song. So he let her sing this part in the scene. 
and composer Justin Hurwitz, he was playing piano into an earpiece alongside her while she was singing this. Oh, Giselle wanted it done this way because he wanted Emma to have more control over the scene. So I guess like what felt right for her ah. controlling the the motions of that scene. That's brilliant. Yeah, it adds more texture and more of that improvisation we were talking about before for her to express herself or what and really become that character too i don't know it's just so raw yeah yeah and i think that's what made that scene even more powerful was that emma was just as emotional during that scene because she was that character you know like full on yeah i don't know about you but my allergies were acting up around that scene i don't know like my eyes just kept watering for no reason (laughs) yeah damn (laughs) why did we agree to do this movie on so many levels. After the audition, you don't see how the casting directors reacted to it. You don't you don't really hear what words were exchanged after the performance. It just mm-hmm. cuts right to Sebastian and Mia kind of discussing like how it went. Seb feels very confident that the audition went well and he selflessly encourages her to put the relationship on hold for now and completely devote herself to acting because he wants her to be successful at this. He doesn't want her to let this opportunity go by and have to worry about him. He's just saying like, right now, just focus on yourself. Like, don't worry about me. I'll still be here when you get back. You're going to do great. And um, she did. She did great. Like she got the job. She went off to do her acting gig for, was it like five years or so? Something like that. Yeah. Do you feel like Sebastian saw no other option here? Do you feel like he felt that it needed to be this way? Huh. It's an interesting question. I, I I think I think if he thought there were another option, I think he would have uh, exhausted that. I just think he wanted to do the selfless thing. He didn't want to be the thing holding her back. Like you said earlier, where where he you said that he thought he was holding her back when her mom was questioning her over the phone, or not questioning her, yeah, questioning her about about him over the phone. Um, yeah, he just didn't want to be somebody keeping her back. And I think, again, that goes to the that's that's sort of like the resentment thing. Like he, he didn't want her to maybe feel that resentment because he knew that he felt resentment, whether he said so or not, like he felt resentful mm-hmm. and he didn't want her to feel that way toward him. And the fact that he still wasn't really able to pursue his dream at that moment. So maybe he felt that he didn't want Mia to have to keep almost stifling her own career just so that way he would be all right with it. You know, he would feel all right about himself. She could devote herself 100%, stay focused, and really just become as successful as he believed she could be. Yeah. Do the thing that I can't do right now. And I really believed that he thought she was going to go out there for five years, do her thing, come back. Five years later, Mia is now a famous actress, and she's married. And this fucking reveal, man, I was crestfallen. Holy shit. Yeah, this this was fucking emotional, man. And like, yeah. the, I loved the way that they did the reveal because they, you know, how I was saying before, they kind of show the back of his head. That's her husband. Yeah. She hugs and kisses him. You quickly realize that's not Ryan Gosling. <laughs> that's not yeah. Sebastian. Fuck, she got married. Oh, damn. And then it pans over and they have a child and you're just like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, that's for keeps. Yeah, that's nail in the coffin. The coup de gras. Yeah. 
man, that was, even though like as painful as that was to watch, that was so awesomely done. I, I really enjoyed just like the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's just the, uh, so intentional, like a good song leads you there, messes you up. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember watching it the first time just completely, I was in shock for, I, I did, like, I immediately did not like the guy. <laughs> Even though you said he's such a likable guy. Cause yeah, exactly. But it's funny. Cause I have seen the movie, like I said, like three times now. And it was only this third time that I realized immediately who he was and made the connection, mm. made the connection. I was like, holy shit, okay. that is Spartacus. He is, that's not his name in, the, in that thing you do, but that's who he says. He always says about himself. I am Spartacus. He says it all funky like that. <laughs> I am Spartacus. And you know what? The fucking waterworks don't stop there during their date night. They're late to their reservation, so they just say, you know what? Let's change up our plans. Let's let's just ditch it. We'll have a little spontaneous night and see what happens. So they find how we're talking about before when they're walking back to their car. They didn't realize that they were parked in front of a uh, like a little hidden jazz bar underground. The husband is the one that hears the music first. And again, I think this was destiny, you know, because they could have easily gotten in the car, driven off, and she would have never known. But he pulls her into the bar. So she's just like, all right, you know, we'll we'll stop by, maybe have a drink or something. And then we can, you know, we can head home because we don't want to uh, have the babysitter stay too late. So they go down. This fucking storytelling, this is expertly done. I loved every bit of this. Also, it fucking crushed me <laughs> just when I didn't yeah. think I, my heart could be crushed anymore. They yeah. they kind of descend down into the underground club. Well, she sees them on the wall. Yeah, she makes that turn. The husband obviously isn't going to recognize it. So he walks into the bar. She stops dead in her tracks because she recognizes what's on the wall. And it's the logo. Yeah. It's the Seb's logo all neon with like exactly how she drew it exactly how she exactly. drew it for Sebastian with like the little music note and everything. I bet she hadn't thought about that in fucking years, right? She probably completely forgot she even drew yeah. it, but then that just brought her back immediately. So she actually goes into the club, you know, the husband, he's, he's totally oblivious to everything. So he's like, yes, this is a pretty cool club. You know, this is, this is kind of nice. I'm kind of glad that we stumbled across this. <laughs> yeah. And I think this was something that Sebastian was probably excited to show her when she got back he probably worked his ass off for those five years and was like i'm gonna fucking make something of myself and when she gets back she's gonna be so proud of me it's gonna be great and she was but the thing is situation's different now yeah they sit down and she's she's just waiting for it. she's almost like kind of like terrified of what's gonna happen next because she knows what's what's coming they have like the band playing and once that number's over the host walks up and it's the owner of the bar Sebastian himself, he, he's like um, introducing the band again to the crowd and they just connect, right? Sebastian and Mia, they lock eyes. I think right there, he immediately just realized that what I envisioned, that's kind of over. That was just fantasy. Yeah. That wasn't something that was realistic anymore. Yeah. And that's when he plays that song. I think the way I interpret it, I don't know if that was how it's supposed to be, but I, I think they both were envisioning at the same time what life would have been like had they stayed together. They were like in sync again at that moment. And yeah, 
obviously it was a fantasy because a lot of stuff would have needed to be conveniently happening in that order. Her one woman play was a success. And then Sebastian was there to congratulate her on the success of the play. And then she gets an, a different gig and they fly to Paris and does he, uh, he, play, he, he plays in jazz clubs. That's out right. There yeah. He becomes a successful mu- musician out there and he's actually playing music that he prefers and that he enjoys doing while she's becoming this successful actress and then they have, they get married and they have their own family and he's actually a, a good parent from what it looks like. And they're both happy with being with each other. It's all what ifs. Like we all go through it today. That could have been right. a possibility, but that, that just wasn't reality. Exactly. Which was just, I think it was brilliant for them to do that, that for uh, Damien Chazelle to, to film it this way, because it just makes it hurt that much more. To show that. You fucking asshole. You really have to show that. You really have to just yeah. twist that knife, you son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Imagine, because <laughs> he builds it up. It's not even just like it's such a quick moment. It's like he builds up this whole world where they actually end up together and you see this this beautiful child that they have and all these experiences of traveling together to Paris. I mean, such a romantic city basically having their cake and eating it too. Mm-hmm. You know, you're swimming in it and those, the, 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 the music, you feel like you're swirling in the, the, the 35 millimeter camera style action, you know, it's yeah. just like, it's so nostalgic and the music again, just swelling to a crescendo, all, all mm. just to be brought back to just the single piano, the reality. Beautiful of, and heartbreaking all in one. Exactly. Suddenly it's just him solo, just with one hand on the keys. That one key, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. But he's like, it's so heavy. He's not just lightly. It's not, he's not playing it pianissimo. It's not like, it's not really lightly on the keys. Mm-hmm. It's like you feel the, the hammer falling with each press of the key. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. It's like getting bum, slower and bum. slower. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Just repeats that same thing. Yeah hangs and the tension no one stands up and claps or anything like that it's just it just dies that was kind of like him oh i I think both of them just kind of realizing that that was the end of their relationship mia and her husband they decide all right you know we got we got head back but um she stops in the doorway you know before leaving and sebastian's still sitting at the piano I think he doesn't want to face her because he it, yeah. it would be too painful. He musters up the strength to, you know, just give her one last look. And she also musters up the strength to look back as she's leaving. Uh-huh. They lock eyes one more time from across the club. There was so much said in that one second look that they gave each other. As painful as it is to lose someone that you love so dearly. He was happy for her. He was genuinely happy for her because all he ever wanted was for her to be happy. And yeah. he was glad that she had a great life. This is where she needed to be. It, it was cool because they both got to achieve their dreams. It just yeah. it was bittersweet because they couldn't achieve their dreams with each other. And so yeah. he gives her that smirk and then, you know, he gives her a nod as in like, I'm going to be OK. Yeah, I'm glad that you're OK. And, you know, she appreciates that. Yeah. That was the closure that they both needed. Yep. She leaves and that was the end of the movie. <sighs> Man, powerful movie. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So many allergies. So many. Al- all of the allergies, dude. <laughs> all of them. 
Uh, great movie yeah. though man fantastic movie it is again man i'm a sucker for good storytelling and that was a fantastic story it is that's why i, I didn't just rent it I, I straight up bought that movie i was like i know i know i'm gonna want to watch this movie again it's that good it's worth owning i don't know when i'm gonna want to watch it again because damn as good as the music is and everything it's like as good as the music is and the acting and the love story it's like just the uh the heartbreak it almost feels like going back and reading love letters from, you know, past lover. Yeah. That's what it feels like, you know, because I mean, then you're, you're here and, uh, and they're no longer in the picture, but you, all you have is this love letter, this memory. Mm -hmm. Life can be beautiful if you're willing to take that risk in and be one of those fools who dares to dream. Yeah. You could play it safe and you could be happy with that too, but but at what cost? Yeah, exactly. That is a wrap on La La Land. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you get to dance among the stars in the Griffith Observatory. Yeah. Any final thoughts or closing comments? I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry. That movie's rough. That's good. See, it's it's authentic. You're being your authentic self. Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid to say that I was, man, I was definitely tearing up watching this movie. And but that's what I love about it. Yeah, that's that's true. That's why I was willing to go. That's why I, that's why I bought it too. It's just like in, in in a world where, you know, you have you watch all these movies and it just feels so fucking like cookie cutter or it, it's rare that you find a movie that can make you feel something yeah. like that. So to 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 own it is something. It's to to have it so that I can always Go back and rewatch it, yeah. And damn, that film score was fan fucking tastic. Justin Hurwitz did an amazing job. He killed it. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I just marveled at the music. Actually, I was just like, wow. Just get it. he just these tunes, everything. It's just phenomenal. I definitely appreciate it more just listening to the soundtrack by itself without even watching the movie. I was listening to it on my way to work a couple times, and I'm just like, this music is great. I didn't even give it enough credit or recognition the first time I watched this movie. Oh, dude, I, I feel you on that. It's been a long time since I've actually sat down and listened to the soundtrack. But when uh, when it came out, I was definitely playing that a lot. And uh, I was trying to I, I remember singing some of the songs. I, I knew some of the words by heart. Uh, City of Stars. I remember knowing by heart back then. I think I, I chose to jettison those lyrics out of my mind after that relationship ended. Because it was just too painful, just too painful to to go there. Hit too close to and, home. Uh, I just hit, hit too close to home. But you know, I have a different perspective on these things now, and that perspective is that it's important to go there. It's if you don't process that emotion, then it will always haunt you. And I don't want it to. Uh, I, I feel like I've uh, it's a tre this is a treasure of a movie, and uh, I've stayed away from it for all these years because it was so painful to go to. And uh, yeah, I was getting like that that hitch breath kind of thing going on. It's like, <laughs> you know, I could feel it and I was yeah. washing my dishes and tears were streaming and I was just like, dang, it's going to go there. It's going to go there. It's real. And I was just like, oh, I got to just let it happen, you know, just let it happen because otherwise, like I said, it'll always, it'll always be trapped inside me and mm -hmm. haunt me. I was glad that Sebastian and Mia were recast because I don't know if I would have felt the same if it was Emma Watson and Miles Teller. I wonder if it would have been as impactful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, I mean, they both they, they could have pulled it off. Who knows? I guess we'll never know, actually. But beautiful performances and a great movie. Shout out to Ryan Gosling, too, because 
apparently he spent two hours a day, six days a week with piano lessons Playing. to train for this movie. Yeah. And by the time filming began, he was able to play the music by heart. And the music was recorded by a professional pianist for the the actual soundtrack. But during filming, he was actually playing the real parts. Oh wow! Yeah, I had I had heard that he that he was that he really learned to play the piano. And yeah, seriously, kudos, much respect. What else can I say about this movie? Like, love the the visuals. Like every time they they kind of ventured off and got a little bit more artistic with it and more daring like I, I thought that was fantastic like even towards the end when they're doing the uh, the little like montage of the what if fantasy they're mixing a lot of different visual effects together because it's like you had like those little cardboard cutouts and they were like kind of like moving from like left to right you know and that was like representing them traveling it was, it was really cool I, I like that yeah yeah very much so all of it before we go, do you remember that embarrassing moment at the Academy Awards several years ago with this movie? Dude, dude, I was like, I was we like, I hope we don't even. That. We have no. to, dude. It broke, dude. That was as heart. That was like almost as heartbreaking as the as the movie itself, where Moonlight actually yeah. won, but Jimmy Kimmel read the wrong name, and so they're up on stage and they're they're all just beaming, and it's just like, and then she, and then Emma Stone's like, we didn't win. You know, she, she's on stage and she goes, oh, we didn't win. And then she like, I think she hands it over to somebody. Yeah. Uh, I think she hands it to one of the cast members. She, there's no bitterness there to, towards yeah. the winners. Oh, it was so embarrassing, though. How fucking embarrassing and how unnecessary that was that that shit happened. La La Land was mistakenly announced as the winner for Best Picture. It actually was meant to be Moonlight. And so that took away the thunder for Moonlight. But it also... It was so embarrassing for the the cast and crew of La La Land, and I just felt so bad for everyone. Because they were already up on stage, right? So they were already up on stage, and now they have to walk off. And on top of that, I think I think there were like two acceptance speeches in before they were like kind of shoot off stage. They're like, no, 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 you you actually didn't win, right? Uh, I just yeah. I wanted to mention that really quick because that was uh, a big moment. Not necessarily in a good way, but because, I mean, they did clean up in a lot of other categories, but man, that best picture. They did clean was up. not for them. Yeah, it just wasn't for them, unfortunately. And I I just remember being so crestfallen. I was so excited because I was excited for them that they won, too, because I just thought it was such a great yeah. movie. And so I was like, just, yeah. And then and then to see all this commotion and everything. And yeah, because as a viewer, you're just like, wait, what what the fuck's happening right now? What's going on? There's like a lot of confusion and no one really knew what's going yeah. on. And then, like Will Smith came up there and like slapped somebody. It was slapped weird. everyone. I slapped everyone, <laughs> in fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that would have been something. Are you watching anything that you'd like to recommend? Fillmore TV. Oof! I just finished Succession, so uh, yeah, that show is still the best show in recent memory. In recent memory, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's up there for sure. Yeah, if you haven't watched it yet, four four seasons, so it's not a lot, but so good. There can be such funny moments and such heavy moments too. Man, that show was so good that you recommended it twice because you also recommended it for Nightcrawler. I did. Oh shoot! <laughs> yeah. What am I? What am I watching? Ah, I try to think now. What am I watching now? I think I had just finished it then, maybe or no, I was in the midst of it. That's right. I haven't finished it yet. Am I watching anything right now? No, you just got back from vacation. You don't got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? What are you watching right now? Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I almost 
I almost uh, spoiled the surprise. So when we're talking about Mia talking to her mom over the phone about Sebastian and you know how he he just kind of needed to have steady income, I was gonna say, what else can you do? Rob Banks. Oh, that's what I'm watching right now. I actually I'm halfway through the Place Beyond the Pines. Oh ho ho ho. That movie is trippy so far. Halfway through the movie, it changes main characters, which I was not prepared for. Yeah, neither was I, dude. That's that wrecked me for sure. That's a different. That's a whole. Oh, I saw that in theaters, and man, it, it, it got me for sure. Affliction Autos is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, five a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, give us a like or a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you again so much to listeners out there for joining Michael and I. This has been Afflictionado's podcast, episode 26, La La Land. And we will see you all next time. Yeah. specific episode because you felt like you could dive a little bit deeper and, and be more vulnerable which i appreciate and i think the audience will too thanks I, I i uh yeah it was just it was meant to be this way i think uh it would be tougher when you're when you're kind of sharing the floor with with more people you know yeah you, you're getting other perspectives which is awesome but uh hard to know if that i could even if i could ever if i could be that raw because i've never because with you i feel like we've had these kinds of conversations before where we'll talk about relationships we'll talk about you know uh, generational trauma we'll do that kind of stuff but you know